Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Madness in Manchester. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's two up top. That means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, what a difference a week makes, Dan. Um, very good this week. Very glad to be chatting Premier League with you guys. Um, so looking forward to getting into this one, mate. Top man, and that means this week you're joined by the return of Fulham fan Matthew. Matthew's had a few weeks off, and I guess a squad rotation policy, but he's back in the starting two today. How are you, my friend? I'm very good. Um, you know, lots of complications coming back from my my stint in America, and then being dragged back into the office for uh, uh, not yelling, but uh, just a conversation with the bosses. All good on that end. Just means I've been out of the squad, as you say, for a while. But happy to be back in the usual rotation after what was you know, a fantastic weekend of Premier League football. And it's a pleasure to have you back on the fold, mate. So before we chat that fantastic week of Premiership football, let's see the social media bit. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy, nice Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. Talking of clubs, I'm delighted to announce that we're now part of the UK's first ever sports podcast network, that being Sports Social. So check out the URL and all the links posted throughout the week on the Real Football Pod account. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. Also, I need to mention my content partner, that being betting.com. For all the tips and predictions you'll ever need, visit them. And for all the links, go to linktree slash realfootballcast. Put a dot between the R and the E. You get 10 podcast platforms to choose from. It's never been easier to listen to this show. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's go to the Etihad. Because as Carl was alluded to, 
the events on Saturday night were quite dramatic, weren't they? And it seems also that the Premier League, and maybe English football as a whole, has Tottenham to thank because the title race, Carl, is very much back on. Yeah, I don't think anyone probably saw that result come in, especially, you know, most Spurs fans probably would have said after the previous two fixtures that there was no chance of us kind of helping put that title race back on. But, you know, what a great performance it was. And as you say, Dan, given given where Liverpool stands at the moment, that well and truly throws a cat amongst the pigeons again, doesn't it? And, and makes not only the top four race, but the title race seemingly back on. Well, Matthew, in terms of what happened in Manchester on Saturday, I think it's fair to say it was largely because of Harry Kane's performance. And once again, he has showed Pep Guardiola just what he is missing at the Etihad. Yeah, exactly. You know, there was all the talk over the summer about, you know, whether or not Harry Kane would or wouldn't move and, you know, who was the one stopping it? You know, was Harry Kane really forcing his way through? Was it Daniel Levy putting, putting a stop to it and everything? But it just does just going to say, you know, whilst Manchester City have done well this season, you know, they're still, you know, still clear at the top of the table. You just think if they'd have had Harry Kane, you know, all these, you know, these minor draws they picked up and a loss like they did at the weekend, would that have, you know, just been enough to get them, you know, you know, 12 points clear as it were at the top of the table. So it just goes to show what kind of an impact someone like Harry Kane can have, you know, as you say, what, what they are, what they are really missing out on. And, you know, it should be, you know, an interesting narrative because whether, whether or not he's going to, you know, uh, decide to continue that vein of, you know, that, uh, that line of pursuit rather uh, going into the summer as well. So yeah, very interesting um, subplot as it were to the whole story. Absolutely. And Carl, let's, not forget, though, that although Harry Kane did run City ragged, City won slouches by any stretch of the imagination. A game of yin and yang that did start in Tottenham's favour. But right at the very end, there was all kinds of drama. So you're looking at 2-1. Game management always key under Spurs. And then you're thinking, oh, God, here we go again at the Etihad. Something more dramatic has happened. And that's the penalty. Was it a handball for you when Romero seemingly, well, he went to the ground. Was there much of a case to argue against that? No, I think, you know, I always look at it as, you know, if, if that was at the end where my team are playing and that, that had been, a, you know, a Man City defender doing that, I'd have been screaming for a penalty and saying, well, look, come on, that, that needs to be given. Um, so I, I don't think anyone can really moan about the penalty being given. You know, it's unfortunate, you know, he's trying to slide to put the cross in and his arm is there. So ultimately, I think no one can have any complaints. You know, I think as soon as we knew that, you know, once we saw a replay on telly, you thought, well, I I can't see how they're not going to give this. And the minute that the ref was told to go and look at the monitor, you know, well, he's being told, listen, you've you've missed one here. Um, Come and have a look at this. And we kind of all knew what was coming at that point. Um, And where the game was at that moment in time, I have to say, you know, I I was filled with dread because I just thought with the amount of time that was still left after that penalty, I just thought, here we go again. You know, we're going to have got so close and it's the hope that kills you. And with the time that are left, City are probably going to get the ball back, come up the end and score the third to kind of nick it. And we'll be close, but not close enough. Um, But no complaints on the penalty at all. Well, Matthew, Dejan Kovalevsky was integral in Tottenham's performance. His first start for Spurs since his arrival in January. He gets the opening goal. He plays a part in the winner. He also played a part in what Tottenham thought was their winner. So what did you think of his overall showing? Obviously, Lucas Moore has been more preferred in that 3-4-3 formation, but a bit of patchy form from the Brazilian has meant the Swede came in. I guess it was a justified choice, wasn't it? 
It was absolutely. You know, I was just thinking about. I was just thinking about this because the way that he was, it was sort of being waxed lyrical. And actually, then you guys are in a better position to sort of uh, answer this than I would. But I'm thinking when you consider the occasion of it all as well, has there been you know a better first star for Tottenham than what? Um, than what he managed to put in on set. I honestly, I honestly couldn't think of why. You know, my honest thought was, um, um, and this isn't this isn't just me, but I remember Gareth Bale having a stormer because it just happened to be against Fulham uh, back in his, you know, when if, when he first came in. I see if you, you know, if you wanted to make an impact, you know, there's always, you know, when when there's Tottenham, there's always a bit of a, you know. Uh, toxicity when it comes to transfers. You know, Daniel Levy always been hesitant to spend. So when you think of right when he does spend, it's really this really must mean something. Uh, because he's, you know, he's willing to fork out for a sort of uh, player like this. For him to come and make the impact that he did, you know, albeit it is, you know, just one game, but start, start to show that maybe, you know, this is one that he absolutely got right. And, you know, if he can continue this impact from now until the end of, you know, until the end of the season, then he could very well be, you know, the the missing piece of the puzzle, as it were, for, for Spurs. They look to get, they look to get into the Champions League place. Well, this is it, Carl, but also... It also says a lot about Spurs in that they go toe-to-toe with Man City. They get a late winner. They go toe-to-toe with Liverpool. They should have blown them out of the water. So these performances are there. And I asked you last week about one step forward, two steps back and all that. This is the one step forwards. We play Burnley on Wednesday. We have to make sure it's not two steps back. Yeah, that's right, Dan. Um, you know, this would be prime Spurs to now go to Burnley in the week and kind of get over a bad draw or actually, you know, kind of get a def- you know end up with a defeat and kind of blow all that good work um and and this is a moment where we now need to kind of th- this is a moment where you can stamp your authority or lay down a marker to sort of say look yes we've gone to city we've beaten them no one expected that but now when we go and play play a team that we should be expected to be we actually need to go and show that we've got that metal about us and we are going to and we need to take that momentum from that city game into this burnley game and make sure that you know we come away with a win because this is going to be a key game in that battle for the top four it's one of those games we need to put a marker down we've also got leads away just after this so again these are two games coming up now where we really don't want to undo all that hard work that we put in at the weekend um it's going to be a lot more of a challenge i think this game because i think we we really you know excel when we play teams that are prepared to come at us and you know kind of high line it gives us that chance with Kane and Son that they can put those balls through and over the top for Son to run onto. And as you rightly mentioned, you know, the Liverpool game, we should really, we, we should have won that one. Um, and we played really well and created lots of chances. You know, the City game, this wasn't a fluke because, you know, we scored three, but we could easily have had five on the day. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, we've, we've nicked three goals. We really created and deserved those three goals and could have had more. We also defended well. But now we need to go away and we're going to come up against a different opposition with a different game plan. This is going to be one of them games where we might need to break a side down that just camp on the edge of their box and, you know, try to nick one. The pressure's on now to make sure that we can go to these teams and, you know, teams that might play a low block. We find a way of breaking it because they probably won't allow us that space in behind that Son and Kane can take advantage of. Well, Matthew, if that's hopefully, from mine and Carl's point of view, a watershed moment for Tottenham in this season, could that game also be a watershed moment for Ryan Sessegnon at Tottenham? What a week for him. Hauled off against Wolves after, what, 25 minutes. Had a really, really good showing against Man City. So, overall, why is it not clicking for him? Will it ever click for him at Spurs? I'm not, I'm not 100% sure because, I, again, I don't want this to be, you know, basing this all off one game because 
you know the vast majority of the evidence has shown that Sessegnon is you know might not be quite the man you know might quite not be be the man for Tottenham even though you know in this Antonio Conte you know three four three system you'd think right he finally gets his chance to be a wing back which I you know after his days of Fulham I think is his best position personally so you think oh this might be you know the renaissance of him but with Regulon as well as an option you just you just never know. So I don't want to base it all off. I just don't want to base it all off the one game, but you do hope that this is, you know, if he can put in a performance like that against, you know, arguably the best team in the country, then they say it just shows what potentially he can do, especially, especially if, you know, Conte showed the faith in him, you know, as you, as you said, hauled off in midweek, but to then put him up against and say, right, I trust you to put in a performance against Manchester City, the champions, you know, best team in the country. The fact that he, you know, has that faith in him shows that, you know, then there might be someone there, but it's just a case of can he do it on a consistent basis? Now, hopefully he does, because I do want him to go on and have a successful career, be it at Tottenham, be it anywhere else. But, you know, yeah, I do. I do just want to sort of temper it over. It is only one game. Let's just see what happens moving forward. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, we are all guilty as football fans of being reactionary, aren't we? You know, best left back in the world all of a sudden. But also, I guess, ballsy from Conte because, as you say, hauled off after 25 minutes against Wolves, but then at least sort of given another opportunity. Let's say Spurs go to Etihad, lose 4-0. I mean, it's happened in the past. We've been drubbed and he's responsible for two goals and it all goes bad again, you'd think, oh man, there's a busted flush. So, you know, it could have gone either way. It's gone the right way. And it at least shows there's competition for a left-back space or left-wing-back space at Tottenham. So all good on that front. But let's go to the title front and the red half of this battle because Liverpool, of course, won 3-1 at the weekend, Carl. They didn't have it all their own way, but they found those extra gears when they needed to. Yeah, they kind of started off a little bit sluggishly, didn't they? And, you know, Norwich were kind of finding some space and had a couple of really good chances before they got their goal. You know, Pookie had a chance that he would definitely look back on and think he should have done better. So I kind of get the impression that when Norwich scored, they kind of awoken the beast and Liverpool just said, right, listen, hang on, what's going on here? We need to pull our finger out. And once they kind of got that little bit of a wake-up call, it was then just one-way traffic. And, you know, in the end, it was a convincing win. And one that, you know, like I say, Liverpool would have just, you know, having a now off the back of our result as well, they will now be feeling a real spring in their step and a confidence that, you know, given the fact they've got City to play, they're still in this title race. You know, they've come through the Africa Cup of Nations in a lot healthier position than some people may have thought they would miss in Salah and uh, Mane for as long as they did. So I think they're going to be really confident. And given the fact that, you know, the run of form they're on, I don't think, see many teams stopping them on the way. So this is going to be a really interesting race now because this could just be like previous seasons where it's, you know, both teams who will barely lose any games and it's just, you know, could come down to that one game where they play one another. Um, and what a game that's going to be now. Well, that's it, isn't it? April the 9th, it's all set up very nicely. But Matthew, in terms of Liverpool, I don't think we've quite been naysayers, but we have feared the potential worst in that they could implode during January Diego Yotta got injured against Inter Milan in midweek. You think, oh, hang on, they could lose a step there. But every time there's a potential fear, Liverpool have always had the answer. And that's why they're in the position that they currently are in. Exactly. You know, it is it is a case of, you know, never, you know, never ride them off. You know, perhaps that's, you know, we know that Jurgen Klopp is a you know master motivator 
um as it were and you know it, it does seem like you know not not that we i doubt we have the say to you know dictate anything the young club does but the sort of everyone in general when they say oh they're going to struggle when you know salary money go off to afcon he can use that to say right this is why you know luis diaz this is why diego jota this is why i brought you to shut these guys up as it were and they are you know and they are doing a and they are doing a fantastic job job with that so you know, it just goes to show that you know how much you know, a motivational factor can play in that, and it's certainly it's certainly paying dividends for them. You know, they are you know as it were on the warpath, and you know with Manchester City's you know blip today, uh, blip on the weekend rather. That's another thing that they can use. Right, they will smell blood. Say right, these guys aren't invincible because you know I think we talked about you know it wasn't impossible to think that Man City because of what they've done in the past, could go on and win every single game between now and the end of the season. But now they've shown, right, the blips are there, and, you know, the title is to an extent within our own hands because of the game we had and the game they have to play. Yeah, it just goes, you know, it's something for them to say, right, we can actually do this now. Well, Carl, Luis Diaz, obviously we talk about good debuts. His wasn't shabby by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, Tottenham fans would be looking at thinking, if only, but a really good showing from the Colombian international on Saturday against Norwich, and already with that goal, has paid off a small instalment of his transfer fee. Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously, we kind of forced Liverpool's hand there to act probably sooner than they wanted to. I can imagine, ideally, they were looking at the summer for that, but they had to act. They brought him in. And yeah, you'd have to say on the basis of that first showing, it looks like they could have a real player on their hands. And I think, you know, it wasn't kind of like a scuffy finish or anything like that. It was a really class finish over the keeper. And one that, you know, in front of the cop, you know, when you go to Liverpool, that's what you want to do, isn't it? Score your first goal in front of the cop end. He's done that. I don't, you know, if you're a player, you can't get no better start for your club than that. So you've got to think that confidence, he could use that. And then, like you're saying, you know, you've got to look at Liverpool's front line there and say, well, that's another addition that does help them power past teams because that is a deadly front line they've got. And if he can come in and start scoring as well and add to the goals of Mane and Salah, then that's, you know, if you're a Liverpool fan, you're just in dreamland at the moment on that, aren't you? Well, it's a great addition. But Matthew, should something also be said for their defence? Because last season, it all fell apart in the back four. They were collecting injuries like they were going out of fashion. This season, everything seems to be a lot more stable at that end of the pitch. It kind of almost magnifies or absorbs any loss of players in attack because it's okay to say, right, actually, we'll be fine as a defensive platform. We don't need to roll over teams, even if we can. That kind of solidity at the back is also doing them great favours up top. It is, and I think that was you know, something we, you know, a lot of people talked about last year. You know, the defensive chaos that they went through with Van, you know, Van Dijk and Gomez and Matip. You know, because you know, there were times when you know Fabinho and Henderson were their were their def- uh, centre back partnership. So it just goes to show, you know, maybe everyone was right. You know, last year it was just a complete blip for them. We know, you know, once they get the whole team back together, as it were, that this is what they are capable. This is what they're capable of doing. You know. Not just, you know, as you say, not just an attack, but the defence can really act as the, you know, the foundation for things for things going forward. So even if it isn't, you know, Salah and Mane and Firmino aren't at 100%, then they can at least keep, you know, keep the opposition down a couple of times. Because, you know, was it was it last year? Was it seven they conceded Aston Villa? Yeah, seven like, two. Uh, seven two. yeah, exactly. So we know that, you know, that's not going to happen with this Liverpool, with this Liverpool side. So... You know, if you have, you know, if you have that at least to sort of build your foundations upon, then you can, you know, you can take that moving forward. So, yeah, it's just, it just goes to show how much, you know, how badly they were missed last season. You know what, you know what could have been 
um, for them if you know if if they didn't have that you know massive injury crisis. And Cole, I guess it also helps when your goalkeeper can completely circumnavigate any midfield or defence by just booting it from one end of the pitch to the other. What a great assist from Allison on Saturday. Yeah, he, he's one of those goalkeepers, isn't he? You know, he can have his howlers and he can cost you know can cost you games. You know, if you look at the Spurs game, you know where he comes out completely misses it and allows us to get that equaliser. But then, as you say, Dan, at the same time, he is the sort of goalkeeper, you know, a bit like Emerson for City. You know, he can play those sort of passes at Sunday bypass the midfield and next thing you know he's sprung he sprung a defense and you've got those guys in on goal so yeah you know he is a good he is a great goalkeeper if he can cut out those odd moments you know those odd moments of a lack of concentration Liverpool have got you know one of the best in the world and again that sort of part is what he's capable of and again that's another nice weapon to have in the armory isn't it absolutely and Matthew in terms of Norwich it's been a rough couple of weekends for them. Seven goals conceded, with the caveat being they played Man City and Liverpool. Is it now a case that they have to just lick their wounds, just get on with those games and just put them behind them? They're not going to define their season. It's about what's going to be around the corner. Ultimately, they haven't taken a massive hit with goal difference, but that's still something that's going to smart. Is it now a case of, right, just put it to bed and we go on? Yeah, exactly. You know, whilst you you never no a manager would never you know admit to this, but it does. They do those games do come across as free hits, as a way. You know, as you said, they're not gonna. The season is going to be defined. You know, if they could have got points, then all the better for them. But Man City, Liverpool, you know, they're going to beat up on everyone in and around them. So if you can just keep the goal difference and keep that as respectable as possible, then yeah, let's move on. It will be games against like Leeds and Newcastle's and Hamilton Town, everyone like that will be the ones to sort of define their scene. So yeah, just just move on and yeah, just hope hope that it doesn't have any sort of demoralized, too demoralizing an effect on the rest of the squad. Well, they were building up ahead of steam, weren't they, before Man City, Liverpool? That's been completely nullified. But Dean Smith has done decent things, but it's getting difficult for them at the bottom because they are at the very bottom now after Burnley's win on Saturday. And Cole, 3-0 to the Clarets at the Amex. You'd have to say on that performance, it was richly deserved. Yeah, and again, you know, a result that I don't think if you're doing an accumulator, you certainly don't put that down as an away win in that game, do you? So that was a great result for Burnley and one that, you know, they will need to try and use that as a springboard now to go and, you know, try and finish really strongly to the end of the season and get themselves out of that relegation zone because they were struggling with goals. So they've scored three in one game against a really good side. So that's a confidence booster for them. And like I say, you know, they did play well. They did deserve that win. It wasn't, you know, one of these where they've snatched a win away at a better side. This was they outplayed um, Brighton on the day and fully deserved a win like that. So it's now just about whether they can have the consistency and whether they can score goals consistently like that. You know, Sean Dyke said in, in the after-game interview, the biggest problem they've had all season is scoring goals. Um, you know, they've only scored 20 this season, I believe, um, and conceded 29. So they want to add a few more goals. And if they do, you can imagine that with the manager and some of the players they've got, they've got the experience to get themselves out of there. But they need to use this as a spring ball for better things because they definitely needed that result. Um, and it gives, should give them a bit of confidence. And it will certainly give them some confidence going into Wednesday's fixture as well. Yes, it will. And Matthew, I think... The confidence has been slowly building at Burnley because if you look at their last few performances, a draw against Man United at home, they lost to Liverpool at home, but with a performance like that, the, 
the chances they created, they should have got a point at least. You know, Valt Veghorst was guilty of spurning a few. On another day, they win that game. They beat Brighton. They've got games in hand. It's kind of the glass has gone from half empty to half full all of a sudden. They're not out of this relegation race at all, are they? Uh, no, no, they're not. And, you know, it, it just comes down to, you know, I've had this with Sean Dice for a couple of years now. He is the, you know, I think we made the comparison as well between, you know, Wigan of a couple of years ago. Yeah. Where we always say, oh, they always manage to do just enough to get themselves out of out of division. But you always have that always thing of, oh, this could be the year just because a whole number of factors just sort of outside of their control. You know, there's only there's only so much they can do. And, you know, it will catch up with them eventually. But. No, it's you no, know, it's around this time of the season, and also with the, you no, know, with the games in hand, you know, it's sort of maybe a false position, as it were, with with Burnley, because uh, you know, is it three games they've got in hand over some of the teams above them? Something I haven't looked at the bottom of the table, um, in a bit, but they do have some games in hand, over, so they could they could and should be higher up the table, arguably. So. Now they're just getting along with with the job that they normally do, you know. Similar to, you know, similar to Norwich, who we just talked about. You know, they will always get their results against the teams who are not necessarily in and around them. With Brian Kazep higher on the table, but they will pick up results when they, you know, when they need to, and they will pick up the odd result here and there, just enough, just enough to get by. And I think you know this weekend was just a you know perfect example of that. I think in terms of Burnley's games in hand, as we record, they've got. Two, over... two games in hand at the moment, I think. That's, yes. uh, uh, yeah, you've got two games in hand over Watford and Newcastle um, and, what, and one in hand on Everton. So they're in a kind of healthy position there and three games in hand on Norwich at the bottom. So I don't think Norwich will trouble them. Um, but those few above them, they've got a good opportunity to kind of win those games and catch them. Well, this is it. It's the kind of the inverse of the teams at the top four to top eight bracket that you don't really know who's going to be in the strongest position until all these games are levelled out. We can make cases for and against every team in either battle and say, well, points on the board or games in hand. It's just going to sort of flip with every week, really. And as you say, Watford, they're kind of revitalised very quickly or all of a sudden because they picked up a rare win at Aston Villa, not just at Aston Villa, but just a rare win in general. That's the first one in 12 league matches. And all of a sudden, Carl, you look at their small run under Roy, that's four points from 12. It's not, amazing but it's the the right steps two clean sheets out of four it's Roy's kind of MO of defensive football they're not out of it either are they when it comes to relegation yeah I mean they're one of the sides that ultimately you think well they, they may just not have enough in terms of goal threat to get themselves out of there but you know Roy has kind of steadied the ship a little bit you know they're not conceding the sort of goals they were at the beginning of the season I mean there still be one of my tips to go down I don't think Roy is going to have enough there to keep them up but if they can stop conceding goals and Roy can keep getting them clean sheets then when you've got a couple of the players that they have in the forward position you know Dennis and Saar then if he can get them clicking on a more regular basis, then they will give themselves a push. And that win again, you know, it was another win that you sit there and go, well, going away to Villa, Villa under Gerrard have been reasonably decent. Um, you know, they've kind of stumbled the last couple of games, but you still would have backed them at home against Watford to get three points. So that was a really good result. And again, another confidence booster. It's all around whether they can use that momentum and keep that momentum going. And then, you know, who knows where they can end up. But I'm full, I, I still probably think they'll fall short. But I think Roy will go in there and just steady the ship. 
Um, unfortunately, you never know with the Watford ball. They, they could decide that they didn't enjoy keeping clean sheets and sack him tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, they probably will by next week anyway. But, <laughs> Matthew, in terms of Burnley and Watford, they won at the weekends. They scrubbed out their streaks of 11 games without a win. So they're no longer the worst teams in the division in terms of current runs. But with that, the bottom half is getting neatly bunched together. If you're a neutral, you're thinking, brilliant, we've actually got a real relegation race on our hands. It might still be the bottom three, but you can start making cases for Leeds, Everton, Palace. If Leicester continue on the skids, you could pull them right in. It's going to be quite an interesting end to this season, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's sort of what I pre- what I prefaced um, um, when I, you know, at the, st- at the start of the podcast is if you look at both ends, you know, both ends, no, both ends of the table and the European race. You know, if things keep going on as they are, there really could be in a case where you know three, you know, three weeks in uh, from the end of the season, we could be in a position where nothing is really decided. Which you know, as a fan, as a neutral, you know, even to an extent, if you're involved in it, it's kind of what you want. Yeah. Um. Well, maybe. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Um. Some clubs, if you know, like your whole future depending on it, you know, a la Spurs, more than likely. Um. But yeah, it's just. It's just it's so exciting. You know, the more teams that are involved, you know, we say in the title race, we don't want a two horse title race every single year. Otherwise, we'll get boring. Just the same as you don't want, uh, you know, the three yo-yo clubs at the bottom of the team. You know, speaking of yo-yo clubs, talking about Norwich, at least they're giving it a fight. You know, we had them cast off as you know relegation certainties after about two weeks at the start of the season, but now they're giving it a fight. You think they might just about stay up? I, I, I don't think they do at the end of the season, but at least they're giving it a go. You know, and they say, you know, the more teams that can be dragged down in the te- more teams can be dragged down into it, then it makes for it makes for a more exciting campaign. And you know, just adds that little bit, you know, that little bit more, you know, spice and that little more uh, importance to every single game that you know, you know that goes on. It's not going to be a case of you know, with two weeks to go, it's going to be you know. You know Everton versus Crystal Palace, both teams on the beach. If they're still, you know, not mathematically clear from relegation, then those games are going to be all the more important. It's just fantastic, and hopefully it carries on, you know, like this for the rest of the season. Well, Carl, what about Aston Villa? Because they've got a bit cold. Three games without a win. They think well. They were what three one up against Leeds. Blew that one three all. Stevie G's life in the Premier League as a manager is not as rosy as it was when it started. Any cause for concern there? Yeah, I, I think, as you say, you know, that they got off with a bang, didn't they? And he, and he had some really good results. But the wheels have come off slightly. I don't think there's any calls for panic there. Um, but again, it's a bit like everything. You know, they'll want to put a stop to this kind of run of form and they'll need to get a win on the ball to kind of get themselves back rolling. Um, again, goals are something that, you know... They either they can either score a few or they or they completely go dry. So it's all about finding some consistency. But I'm reasonably confident they they might be a little bit hit and miss now towards the end of the season. You know, win a couple, lose a couple. But I think they'll be fine. And the chances are, you know, Stevie's probably looking at they're probably looking at their plans for next season and how they can progress further on from where they are right now um, and what they'll do to kind of keep that momentum going. But I wouldn't be overly worried, but you definitely want to put a run and they'll definitely want to get a win back on the board as soon as possible. Well, Matthew, for any of these clubs mentioned in the bottom half of the table or anywhere from 9th to 20th, prize money, that's just as important to any clubs in the division because staying in the division is great, but if you've got more money to spend the following summer, then your quid's in quite literally. So this is going to be interesting for the likes of Villa, Leicester, Southampton, Brighton, how they can shape their transfer budget for next season. 
Yeah, that and not only the budget, but I think it's also a case of, you know, progress that you want to see. I think that's, you know, for a club like Aston Villa, I think that's their main for uh, their main ambition for this season because they're not they're not going to get relegated. They're not going to be, you know, chasing for you. You know, we talk about uh, teams on the beach. I think given a couple of weeks, they will probably be in that position. But they at least want to say, right, we are making progress under, you know, under Steven Gerrard. We are, you know... Um, we are. We can put off a you know, run of five wins in a row. So we are moving up. We can challenge for Europe if you give me a full season under me. And that means that when they go into the transfer market, not just with the you know, the money they have to spend, but the players that they can attract. You know, the fact that Aston Villa, you know, for instance, let's just keep using them, have managed to pull off the signings of Lucas Dinho and uh, Philip uh, Philip Coutinho, just goes to show. Right, this is a club with ambition. You know, we, if we can sign, if we can sign players of this nature, so. No, if so, when it comes to you can say right, this is what we're doing. We're building a project. Do you want to be a part of it? You know, it's not going to be the same if they're sixteenth. They might say, nah, you're quite near the bottom. You know, it's not exactly the same guarantee. But if you know uh, they were seventeenth when he took them over, I think it was. If he takes them up to ninth or maybe or maybe eighth, maybe, um, then it'll again just say right, this is what I have done so far, Villa. Give me a full season. Give me more players like yourself. And we can move, and we can move further up, further up the table, and change for Europe. So I think that's probably more going to be more important, as well as the prize money, obviously. But I think it's more the, you know, the prestige and the, you know, the soft power as it were of what you can use to attract players coming in the summer, rather than the financial stuff behind it. Well, Carl, what about Brentford? Because as I say, Burnley and Watford, they've won matches, so their bad runs are chalked off. Brentford have gone to the top of the pile in the unwanted table of having the longest run without a league win at the moment. Seven matches now, one point from 21. Last week I asked you about their relegation odds. I think they're now fourth in the odds to go down, so they're getting shorter in that aspect. Are you starting to get more worried for them? Yeah, I think as a Brentford fan, you know, when you're looking at the table and the form now, you would start to get a little bit worried, especially considering they've played the most games out of all those teams down there. So everyone below them has got at least one or more games in hand on them. So, you know, if they pick up their points, then that puts Brentford well and truly in the mix. And I think it's just the sort of nature of the form that they're in where you would now be starting to look over your shoulder and think, well, the way we started the season, you kind of thought, you know, mid-table, you know, just below that, you know, well out of the relegation zone was looking on the cards. Whereas now you're really getting sucked in. I think for Brentford, you know, they'll look to try and hope they can get Christian Eriksen match fit and on the pitch as soon as possible, because obviously he'll give them another creative spark that could help them score goals. But, I think you have got to be worried if you're a Brentford fan and they really need to try and put a stop to this run of form because, you know, the the way it's going, they really could get dragged in there, especially if those below them pick up wins in the games in hand on them. And then, you know, it's all about momentum and you don't want to be taking the sort of momentum they're in right now into the sort of last few weeks of the season because it's very easy to find yourself in that bottom three and struggling. Um, So, I, you know, I've got a bit of a soft spot for them, the way they've come up and the way they played at the start of the season. So I'm hoping they can find some form. But it's quite worrying there, the way that, that form they're in, you would be starting to sweat a little bit now. Well, someone who doesn't have a soft spot for Brentford or Hounslow Town, he's Matthew. We all know that. There's no doubt about that. But for you as a Fulham fan, would you rather pass each other like ships in the night and you go up and they go down? Or would you like two Premier League derbies next season? 
Honestly, I'd quite like. Honestly, I quite like the Premier League derbies. I just think there is that, you know, because there is we do have a something of a rivalry with Chelsea, but it's not quite there. You know, we're very much the the little brother in that scenario. Like, you know, I'll glad I'll gladly admit that it's not quite le- level in the terms of you know Arsenal and Tottenham. Say it's not quite of that level. Whereas you know, f- you know, Fulham and Hounslow Town, there's a there's a level. You know, we're roughly the same. Same with QPR as well. It's roughly the same. So it can be a rivalry rather than just you no know, one. You know, they are the bigger brother being up on the little one. So yeah. Uh, Two Premier League derbies with them next season would, you know, it will be something. It will give us, you know, something to look forward to, you know, rather than, you know, know, excusing Chelsea, like like some trying to force someone with Crystal Palace, say, uh, because of Joachim Anderson or something. It will give us something to, it will give us something to look forward to. So, ideally, I don't want them to stay up, but if they do, then it's the silver lining, as it were. Yeah, point taken. Of course, you could really fill your boots next season. If you and QPR go up, you could have a West London frenzy, couldn't you? Chelsea, Brentford, Fulham, QPR, all at the same level. You'd be... Yeah, let's not go mad, Daniel. Let's not go mad. <laughs> OK, point taken. But let's stay on the topic of derbies, because there was one on Saturday in South London as the Club World Cup winners needed a 89th-minute winner to get the best of Crystal Palace. Sorry, Max, more bad game management for the Eagles. But, Carl, what did you make of Romelu Lukaku having just, wait for it, seven touches in 90 minutes, the least ever in Premier League history... For someone who's played a full game, yeah, it's just kind of you know, it's just kind of adding to the narrative, isn't it? That that was just a really bad summer signing on Chelsea's part, and that he just hasn't fitted in there, and you know, just opens up the question marks around whether or not he's got a future again at Chelsea. Um, I think you know, when if you watch Match of the Day, I think they kind of explained it perfectly, doesn't it? It doesn't look like he's being forceful enough um, when he wants the ball and where he wants passes and when he wants it played. It also doesn't look like Chelsea are actually looking to play to those strengths. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one pans out. I mean, Tuchel didn't sound too confident or too fussed about trying to sort that, did he? Um, you know, just you know, that sort of like, well, what can I do? Um, it's not what he wants, but I think, you know, some of it is on Lukaku. I think he's got to get a little bit more demanding of his teammates. And Chelsea, you know, when you lay that sort of money out, you do need to kind of take advantage of that. And, you know, if you're going to spend that sort of money on a striker, then you should have been bringing him in with the view that you're going to play to his strengths. Um, there's no doubt he is a class striker. You know, we've seen on his day, he can bully defenders, he can score goals, but you know, his stints in England, especially at Chelsea, haven't been successful. And you might find this is another one that ends a little bit sour. And at the end of the season, they may be looking to part ways. But I think that's something they need to try and start sorting out. Because, yeah, seven touches from a player like him, that just isn't good enough. Well, Matthew, are we at the point where Lukaku joins the Chelsea striker graveyard? The list is huge and it's eye-watering. Shevchenko, Higayin, Pato... Uh, Maratta, Lukaku once before. There's so many names, so many big name failures. Crespo, perhaps, it just goes on forever. There's so many of them. Why does this keep happening at Chelsea? Do they just look for a marquee striker as the big crown and the jewel every summer and not actually think, well, do you know what? Does he fit? Like, How could they make so many mistakes over, what, 15, 16 plus years? I know. I think. I think part of it may be because of the the constant changing of managers as well. There's never really that set style that you know that you want, and the chance to create a you know create a, a system around around certain players. You know, can you really do that? You know, with the constant fear of being sacked always dangling over you when it comes to when it comes to Chelsea. 
And obviously then a new manager comes in who may not quite fancy them. So they've got to be shipped out and, you know, let's try with the next one sort of thing. It could be a combination. It could just be that, you know, the Chelsea scouts who are, you know, overseeing everything. It could just be a blind spot. I mean, Look how long it took Manchester United to replace uh, Peter Schmeichel with Edwin van der Sar. You know, the likes of, you know, uh, Mark Bosnich and uh, Edwin, uh, Raymond van der Gaal, rather. It wasn't until they, um, and Fabian Barthez, it wasn't until they got Edwin van der Sar that they finally that they finally solved the problem. So it could just be that it's just one blind spot that just, they just can't, they can't seem to, you know, they just can't, can't seem to solve. It is certainly a weird, it is certainly a weird one, but, you know, <sighs> It is it is hard to put a sing. It is hard to put it down to to a single. It is hard to put it down to just just one single reason, rather. But it's fascinating, isn't it? It's just like a, it's a massive quirk in Premier League football. But you'd kind of like to think that you'd solve it in the end. Like they're not all bad players. They're not bad players at all. They're world class players before they come to Chelsea, and then they just go off the boil. And it's just almost like you're seeing someone's future before it happens, where you know that they're going to go to Stamford Bridge and be a complete bust. Fernando Torres, there's another one. I'm sure others will just pop into my head for the next 20 minutes. You could just write a, a massive list of him. It's madness. But, Carl, in terms of what they've got now, obviously they won the Club World Cup. They edged past Al Halal. They needed extra time to get the better of Palmeiras. They needed a last-minute goal against Crystal Palace. Yeah, they're winning football matches. And you could argue, well, they're growing out wins when they need to, and that's a sign of a great team. But... You look at them at the moment, and they're far from a great team. Yeah, they'll definitely want to pick their performances up, won't they? You know, I think you know Tuchel kind of said that you know the way that their season and the last few weeks have been going for them, it's been hard. And and I think one of the things that we all forget is when, especially when you're a team like Chelsea and as many competitions as you've been in, you don't really actually get that much time on the training ground to try and work on things because you're just kind of getting yourselves through these fixtures. You know, the players are going in for some light training, so you don't get as much time to work on things as you'd probably like. So I'm sure there's stuff they want to work on but are not getting the time to. But they will need to try and find a way to kind of make sure that they, you know, get back to some of the earlier form that they had at the start of the season because you don't want to keep scraping through games because at a certain point that kind of catches up with you and you'll go one game too many where you can't scrape through. And like at this weekend, you know, Palace had, you know, Sahar himself had a couple of really good chances where, you know, he could have helped Palace get something there. And then Chelsea are looking at that as a really bad, a bad result for them. So they do need to pick their form up. Um, I guess it's just hard because I say you probably need time to work on things like the Lukaku situation. If you can't work on that on the training ground, it's hard to get a game plan ready for it. But, I think they'll be all right. You know, they've got the talent and they've got the experience there to, you know, to kind of get results and kind of turn things around. So I still think they're sitting pretty there in third, but they're certainly not going to, you know, if they want to try to push the top two even more, they've got to pull out some better performances. Well, Matthew, is this also part of Chelsea's danger in that they are looking very comfortable to finish third? They're not going to really lay a glove on the top two. The teams below them aren't really going to lay a glove on Chelsea. Is motivation a bit of an issue at the moment at Stamford Bridge? I think I think that could very well be the case, and or it could just be a case of you know they're trying to rest players and keep everything fit and just take it over. Because yeah, you know, as you said, if there's not anything for them to play in the league, then the only thing they've got really left to fight for is the cup competitions. You know, they've got the uh, is the Carabao Cup uh, this weekend, yep. rather, and then also the Champions League, which, as has been pointed out many times, is seen as the holy grail for. 
for Roman Abramovich. So it may well be that you know, as everything has played out, the, you know, the, as you say, the league title's uh, gone. Top four is probably secure. So let's put the focus on um, on the cup competition. So let's not, you know, that's why they went all out and you know paid such attention and everything uh, for the Club World Cup, for instance. You know, rather than just treating it as you know glorified friendlies, as it were. So I think that is, I think that is probably. Uh, one reason why they might be taking their foot off the gas, as it were, is if the if the only thing left to fight for is the cup competitions, then why should they be going all out in the league when they could just you know be using their energies elsewhere? Well, Matthew, I'll stay with you then because it is the Carabao Cup final on Sunday. We'll review it in full next week. What do you make of the Taylor tape for the final? Is it going to be the Reds or the Blues that come out on top? I just think when it comes down to the, I just think when it comes down to the big game and everything, I, I just, I just can't, I just can't see being anyone other than Liverpool person. Well, there's only two, so <laughs> uh, I, I, I could just see being Liverpool. I could just be being Liverpool. I think just when it comes to the big game factor, you know, whilst you know Salah, Firmino, and Mane haven't been at their greatest this year, I just think when the when the time comes, they 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 know what to do, and I just think the the blistering pace is going to be far too much. Uh, for Chelsea to uh, to handle personally, but that, that's just me. And Carl, what's your opinion? Can Thomas Tuchel add to his legacy as a cup-winning manager at Chelsea, or will it be more silverware for the Reds? No, I think this is a sort of game a bit like the Champions League final. So I, I, I feel the complete opposite to Max. Ooh, you know, I think nice. when this sort of game, sorry, uh, Matthew, I feel when this game comes round, I think this is where Chelsea come and put a performance in, um, you know, like the Champions League final. Um, and I, I think this will be another one. I think Chelsea will have a game plan. I can see them being able to nullify Liverpool. You know, Rudiger, Spilicueta, you know, people like that. This is the sort of game where they come alive. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Chelsea nick this and add another League Cup to the to the list that they've already got. So my money's actually on Chelsea this weekend. Interesting. We'll see who's right next time round then. Matthew, before we move on, Palace. I know Max is our Palace expert, so I'll get your view this week. Are you concerned about them at all? Because that's no way in six, I believe. Obviously, they're a team which are knocking on the door, playing well, not getting those breaks. Now, again, you can say, oh, well, it'll be fine because we are playing well. It's not cause concern yet but there are points where you need to get results you know we're looking at the bottom of the table it's getting compacted how good will Palace be between now and the end of the season I still think they'll be okay I think it is still part of you know the learning curve of Patrick Vieira. you know whilst he's been manager before at Nice and New York City I think it was I think that's one of the teams I can't off the top of my head but it is still getting used to the Palace side that you know you know, whilst it is you know February, there are still a lot of tweaks, and you know, given the grand overhaul that was uh, the job in the summer, you know, he is still getting a little, a little bit. He does still get a little bit of slack, as it were. So I don't think there's anything to really be concerned about. You know, if this you no know, losing run goes to ten, maybe then yeah, maybe that. But I just think you know, come you know, come what you know, come what may come, the end of the season, there will be enough for them. Uh, just to be able to, you know, just to be able to squeak by. You know, we talk about the magic, you know, forty points. I think they'll be, I think they'll be well clear of that, you know, sort of danger, you know, come March, April time. So I don't think there's anything really to be concerned about from them on that front. Okay, then, Carl, because they go to Watford on Wednesday night. So obviously a midweek bit of action for them. Watford have got their monkey off the back, so to speak, with that win on Saturday. Is there going to be a head of steam for the Hornets? Will they get the better of the Eagles? Yeah, real interesting game here, isn't it? I think this is where, like, as we say, you know, Watford will look to try and take that momentum from this win at Villa into this game, you know, in the week and hope that they can kind of turn that into another good performance, keep it tight, 
and get a goal. You know, this is not one that kind of thrills the neutral, is it? You know, this isn't one that if it was live, you're tuning, you're desperately tuning in and trying to get home for. But I think Watford might just be able to get the better of Palace here in a tight game. You know, Roy's old team, I think he'd be looking to try and get one over on them there. I think Watford probably just edge it. And again, you know, it will be a disappointing game where Palace will come away thinking, you know, these are the sort of games that we shouldn't really be losing right now. But I definitely think Watford could get nick a win here. Well, if that happens, teams will be dragged down into the mix. One of them could be Leeds. Now, Matthew, Man United game on Sunday, one of those games which was blood and thunder, a throwback to yesteryear, really. You know, the ones that get people excited and miss the idol most. But... For Leeds, they got all excited once going 2-0 down. Now, they can't really give teams, any teams, 2-0 luxuries, really. And you're kind of sort of thinking, well, that burst of performance was great, but it's not good enough. And that is also what might catch them out come the end of the season. No, you're right. It's been, you know, the problem for, you know, Marcelo Bielsa's side, you know, since they got into the Premier League is, you know, they have these short bursts and, with you know, with their style of play, they will always be able to get you know quick goals and catch teams unaware because they're high pressing and the pace and all the running that they do. But it's just a case of can they do it consistently? You know, like we you know, like we saw last season, they will go on these they will go on these good runs and then um, quite ironic, I think it was both games against Manchester United. You know, then all of a sudden it's bang, it's six two, um, it's six two at Old Trafford, or they're getting uh, thumped by someone else along the line. It's just a case of can they keep it consistent. And that's been the problem for them no, all season. They haven't even they haven't been really been able to get that first bit under their belt. You know, part of it is down to you know the injury crisis that they got. It's hard to you know get a fluid uh, uh, team and style of play when you're constantly having to chop and change because of all the injuries that they've got. So that's probably something that you know, they'll be hoping is uh, solved as you know as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, it is you know, it is incredibly worrying for them that. You know they do. They do have these you know, lapses in concentration, what have you, and that that are just continuing to cost them points. Well, Carl, let's look at Marcelo Bielsa because there's whispers, shall we say, that he might not be manager next season because he always works on a sort of yearly contract. It's coming up again to its expiry soon. Names like Valverde, the ex-Barcelona manager, have been thrown into the mix as a replacement. Could you see them having an amicable split, even if they do stay up? Yeah, I guess this is one of those things as well where you suddenly look and say, you know, how long can a team kind of function under Bielsa and the kind of work that he wants from that team? You know, does it come to a point where ultimately, you know, players and that just get tired of the sort of way that that manager works? And Leeds might find that, you know, Bielsa has done a brilliant job for them. He'll go down as, you know, a club legend for them, getting them back to where they belong. Um, but maybe there will be a point where people think maybe you've just taken a club as far as you can now and we need to look for someone else because they say, yes, they play some really good football at times, but then they can also get themselves open and torn apart quite easily. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's a possible change around. You know, there could be an element of burnout there from not only Bielsa himself, but also the players. And, you know, it might be the right time to look and say, well, thank you very much. Now we're going to try, you know, we're going, we want to stay here. We want to progress. and But we think you've probably taken this project as far as you can. And we're going to look for someone else to come in. So, yeah, it certainly wouldn't be a surprise, to be honest, if you saw that happen. Is that a fair statement, Matthew, that Leeds can't ever really progress under Bielsa? I know they had a good season last season. So that's kind of like the outlier of the two. But you kind of do wonder if it can ever be sustained. You know, it's kind of the team that rushes through the ranks 
from Championship to Premier League is that great first season. It's not quite second season syndrome, but they are regressing. Is the danger now that the trajectory goes backwards rather than going back forward again? I think that is the case. I've said for a while that Marcelo Bielsa is not, the, you know, uh, the, the Leeds United owners and you know, chairman everywhere have said that they want to take, you know, they want to take Leeds to the Champions League. Um, and they have European aspirations. I just think with the style of play, and again, because of how inconsistent it can be, I don't think Marcelo Bielsa is the man to take them forward. I mean, he's done a great job for them so far. You know, he's got them out of the Championship into the Premier League. He's got them that one season of, you know, of financial, of, you know, of Premier League prize money. More than likely, I think, because I think they will stay up. You know, that'll be a second year of Premier League prize money for them to take, you know, invest in the squad. If they want to do that, that's fine. But I think if they do want to have these European aspirations, I do not think he's the manager because I do not think the style of play that they have. You know, whilst it's good, whilst it's entertaining, whilst we can, you know, whilst we can enjoy it and, you know, everything like that, I think if Leeds are serious about moving forward, I don't think it'd be also as, as great a job as he has done. Should be you know, no disrespect or anything like that. But I think he's not the man to take them that step forward. And Carl, of the United that beat Leeds at the weekend, that obviously Man United, what have you made of their week? It seems like there's turmoil or rumour or counter-rumour. You've got this kind of captaincy argument bunning about now. There's all these kind of moles or leaks as well. A win's welcome, but they've got to just kind of hush all the noise, really, haven't they? Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, obviously on performance-wise, you know, they're unbeaten in their last five, you know, with three wins and through two draws. So things are not looking that bad on the pitch for them. Um, and that was a good win at the weekend because, you know, the way things are going, Leeds could have caused them a massive upset. So on the pitch and performances, they're getting some results. But as you say, Dan, I think it's trying to make sure and just dampen all this stuff and just let people focus on getting that top four race and trying to do as best they can to finish in there. And then obviously, you know, at some point they need to just kind of clean house and find out what's going on, who's leaking what and get the manager situation settled. And then they might be able to start planning properly for next season. But on the pitch at the moment, they're grinding the results out. So I don't think on the pitch you'd be too fussed, but you definitely want to stop that noise that's going on around it because you you don't want a circus following you around every week. Well, Matthew, you're a man with his ear to the ground more often than not. So what do you make of this noise at Old Trafford? Um, I, I personally think it's all it's all storming a teacup. You know, how many times have we heard all these problems at Man United? You know, go, it goes back to Mourinho's days, it's a soul shine. So it's it's just a it's just a continuous thing. So. Now, why say ear to the ground? I've, you know, I've, I've turned my hearing aid down, personally. It's just, it's just all become white noise to me at this point. It's a case of, oh, there's another behind the scenes problem at Old Trafford. Okay, fine. It probably means, you know, it probably means Ralph Ragnar isn't going to be manager next season. We kind of knew that anyway. It's like if it happens with, you know, it happened with Jose Mourinho, that means he went. It happened with Solskjaer, he went. You know, it's going to happen with Ragnar, he went. But we knew that anyway. So it's not really anything major, and you know, it's probably going to be. Something that the next manager is probably going to have to is probably going to have to sort out because there is a, a level of toxicity within the Manchester United changing room, obviously, and it's been there for years. You know, whether or not it's you know player power and player ego and everyone wanting their brand to be the most important thing, not mentioning any names, Paul Pogba, but it is just it is something that is going to have to be sorted out. But it's not. I don't think it's Ralph Rangnick's job to do. It's not Ralph Rangnick's job to do it. 
it's going to be whoever the whoever the next manager is, be it you know Pochettino, be it Allegri, be it you know whatever name that is usually branded out for the next job at Manchester United. Whoever is going to be is probably more likely going to be their problem to try and sort out. Okay, then that neatly brings me on to the next question, Carl, because there's no doubt that Southampton are in good form. Let's say that Ralph Hasenhutl is flavour of the month, eight points from twelve on offer. Could he be the next Man United manager? Wow, that's a that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the really funny bit is Southampton get themselves in these positions and have these sorts of run the form when all of a sudden Hasn Hoot's name starts propping up, doesn't he, for bigger jobs? And then all of a sudden Southampton just suddenly it all goes into meltdown and they spiral and go on a really bad run of results and that sort of noise around Hasn Hoot all dies out. There's no doubt Southampton, he's got them playing some really good football and has done for a little while, in all fairness. Um, I'm not sure whether that's the sort of man United are looking for next. You know, I, I think they'll still want, if you like, a, a, a bigger name than that to come in. You know, United have still got to think of themselves as the brand and the manager is someone that also, you know, contributes to the brand. And they'll be looking at one of the top managers. You know, my money's on Pochettino going there you know he's not happy in France I think we know that um, he probably wants to return to England at some point and ultimately that for me would either be between Spurs and Man United Spurs have got Conte now and that's looking like you know that's going to at least get one more season so United need a manager Pochettino is probably going to become free in the summer and in my opinion if you're looking at United he might have the kind of philosophy around him that they want to take forward um, so that's my betting but Hassan Hilton's done well but I just think that job still might be a little bit above him at the moment Well Matthew the team that Southampton beat at the weekend was Everton they have reverted to type they played well against Leeds the week before played atrocious against Southampton really is it back to the drawing board for Frank Lampard? Yeah, I think it is, and you know, not in the same way to Patrick Vieira, but I do think Lampard is still, still with that because no, because he was appointed right at the end of January, so he is still within his first month at Goodison Park, so he is still, still trying to tweak and work out what he wants. Bearing in mind that also how late he came in the transfer window, whether or not he truly wanted guys like Van der Beek and Deli Alley into the squad, so he's still got to try and work everything out. And again, so. The expectations probably won't have been there from the Everton board and, the, and more than likely the Everton fans for the rest of the season. So if they can just do enough, you know, they can get these, you know, the odd wins here or there. If it does mean, you know, losing to Southampton, but picking up points against um, Brighton, for instance, where they play, and that will probably be okay. Because again, I, I, there, there, there is enough when it comes to Everton that will probably be enough to keep them up, and then the, you know the hard work really work uh, really starts next season, as it were. So I don't think there's anything to really panic about when it comes to Everton just yet, because I do think on a talent level there is enough to just about get them. And Frank Lampard, yeah, is a is a smart cookie. You know, he he did a good, he did a reasonable job at Chelsea. Just obviously not good enough for what Abramovich wanted. Did a reasonable job at Derby. So there is a smart manager in there. It's going to take a while for him to get used to dealing with the bottom of the Premier League. But I think there is just enough when you combine those two, just about to get them out of the you know, out of the relegation battle. Yeah, I think they'll just avoid it, unfortunately. But anyway, Carl Wolves, here's a question for you: Are they better now without Adama Torre? Are they no longer relying on raw pace and that being quite telegraphed in the fact of give him the ball, here we go. Are they more balanced? 
Yeah, that, that could be, you know, that could be a true statement, couldn't it? As you say, you know, rather than just kind of looking for that ball over the top and letting him try to run onto it or just giving it to him to run. Um, whatever's happening, they're certainly not missing him at the moment with the way things are going. You know, that's four wins out of five. And and they're looking strong contenders to kind of battle up there. You know, they're, they're in the shout for the top four race. Um, that probably would just be a little bit too far for them this season, I think. But they're definitely there. They've definitely got a shout for it. They're in the mix. And if they keep playing the way they are at the moment, then, you know, why not? I mean, they didn't control that game brilliantly. You know, Leicester had a lot of possession and that. So I still think there's, you know, work to be done. But if you're Wolves, you're definitely going to be happy because the way they started the season, I don't think anyone envisaged them being where they were right now in the top four shout. Absolutely. I mean, we're looking at, what, eight teams fighting over seven European places. If you exclude an FA Cup winner from outside that pack, there's going to be one unfortunate team. Who will it be? I mean, it's not going to be Newcastle in Europe. We know that. But, Matthew, they got a point against West Ham at the weekend, and that's 12 points from 18 on offer for them. More importantly, they've picked up a point without Kieran Trippier in their team. So that's going to be a massive boost for them in terms of getting results. It is, because I do think it was... You know, I was talking with my Newcastle United uh, fan, who's, who's, who's my best friend, and I did say, you know, when Kieran Trippier, it, it just seemed like sod's law, you know, all this hype and all this stuff about, oh, yes, we got Kieran Trippier, look at the great uh, start that he had with his goal against Aston Villa. Talk about how he could be the future captain of Newcastle as well. So all this, you know, he's going to be the main man, you know, the, arguably the, the the biggest one they got in the January transfer window, and all of a sudden he's out for you know, possibly the season. So it just seems like Sod's all right. That's going to start trending them down just because of the knock-on effect. But the fact that they can pick up a point you know, against against West Ham, who are challenging for the Champions League, just goes to show that you know they, you know, with the with the players they brought in, and Eddie Howe, who is again a good manager. Not, I don't, I still don't think that Eddie Howe is the man to take them to the Champions League and the title, which I'm sure is the board's ambitions and everything. But just enough to get them through this season, I think he's. He's he's doing a fantastic, he's doing a fantastic uh, fantastic job, as it were. You know, as the result against West Ham shows, if he could do it without, you know, arguably, you can make the argument their best player in Kieran Trippier. I think you're absolutely right, and I think Newcastle are certainly on an upward trajectory as they move up the t- league table. Right, we've hit full time, so it's time to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two Pod Squad members this afternoon. Matthew, a great return to the fold. Thanks for your time this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Thanks very much. Always a pleasure. A little bit rusty, but I'm sure we'll be back to normal as we were next week. Top man. And Carl, thanks for wearing the captain's armband once again. Looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, really enjoyed that one, Dan, and, and looking forward to next week. Absolutely. Right, cheers, guys, and also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.